I'm encouraged and excited to share with you guys. Um, but let me let me pray real quick. Uh, Lord, thank you um, for the great privilege to be in this room um, and uh, just to share um, you with all these folks, um, many of which I, I don't even know, um, and to just be partners um, with these people uh, and teammates um, in, a, in, a, in a great, much greater story um, that we're all part of. Uh, I pray, Lord, uh, just for what um, what I will share, what I'm going to say, that you would use it. Um, I know you've used it in my life and have been teaching me through it. Um, and I pray that um, if it is useful for them, that um, that, that would happen. And if I, there's error in anything I say, that it would be uh, forgotten. Um, and so I pray that folks are encouraged and challenged as a leader tonight. Amen. Um, so 2 Timothy 4.8 now there's in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. This idea of um, the end, uh, of thinking about the end, um, something you don't think about a lot, something you don't hear a lot in our culture, being so uh, for the moment. Um, I think even for Christians, that's a, that's a hard thing to think about and to be gripped by um, with the end. Something I've been... Uh, really wrestling with probably for about five or six months now is um, is just that. Like, what, what do I want my life to count for? What do I want my life to look like in the end? Um, it, it's kind of hard to grasp, hard to think about, hard to picture, but one day we're all going to be there. Uh, what do I want it to, um, what do I want it to count for? Um, and am I letting thoughts of eternity and, and this crown of righteousness, am I letting those things influence my life in the present? Um, and if so, how? Like, what, what, what does that look like? Um, and so I've really been just kind of gripped by this idea of, um, okay, that's that's there, okay. What what am I going to do now? What what am I what am I doing in my life now? What what am I putting into my life? What am I doing with my life now that will affect there? Does that make sense? Um, and so that's kind of where where all this kind of stemmed from, um, and thinking that way. Um, I think about um, you know, heroes of the faith, the saints of old. Um, you guys may have. Um, uh, your leaders, probably, uh, your, probably your heroes, um, uh, authors, you know, other saints of old, Augustine, Martin Luther, whoever, you guys have a favorite author, whatever. Um, what was it about their lives that, that we still talk about today? What was it about them? And, and we don't hear about all the other um, here today, gone tomorrow, the flashy preachers from AD 900. Why, what is it, why don't we talk about those guys? Why don't we read their books? Um, and why are we reading these other guys? And why are, why are our heroes our heroes? You know, and so I've just been really challenged by this whole: what is it that's different about them? Um, and so I, I've kind of put together some thoughts um, along those lines, and, and along with some of my experience of what I've learned, uh, and then some real just practical stuff of, of working with um, college-aged um, and post-college people um, and high school kids every day. Um, so that's kind of where a lot of this uh, flows out of. Um, and also a lot of it comes from Jeremiah that I've been reading over the last few months. So, um, like I said, how, how do you be like that later? Um, I've gotten into um, some endurance events. Uh, I, I did a, um, a mini triathlon a few months ago, ran a half marathon back in the spring. And it is unlike anything you'll ever do. A lot of you guys, when you did football, basketball, stuff in high school, um, if you're looking for something different, go there. Um, and so in the midst of all this training, it is, it is amazing how different um, you think about stuff. 
right? Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna bench press 350, and then I'm gonna pound the guy, the the tackle on Friday night. Like that's just what I do. But when you're thinking like, oh, geez, I gotta run 13 some odd miles, like I'm not gonna do that my first day out, you know? And, and you start thinking in terms of okay, what can I do now to set up that later? What can I do then to set up that the other day? Um, I saw the, the the world's strongman competition. You guys know what I'm talking about? Um, they're on ESPN, and when you see it, and you're like, okay, that guy just carried 10,000 pounds on the flight of stairs or something like that. And you think, okay, all you got to do is just get really strong and be able to do that. But they, the, the announcer and stuff started talking about, like, these um, drills, things that they do to strengthen their hands. They like that their skin, like their wrists, their knuckles, whatever, will, like, rip if they don't train them and do those things right. So regardless of if you could lift a bus, but if you don't do the right things with your hands... The, the skin's going to tear, you're not gonna, it's not going to be any good. You, you guys follow me there? So there's all these little things that, like, what do I got to do here to get there? Um, and so that's kind of where I'm going. Um, how are we going to be able to say in the end, you know, with Paul, I fought the good fight, I finished the race, um, the, the crown is mine, and, and be confident of that, and not be, man, did I really go hard enough? Did, well, I mean, probably, it's likely, but, you know, like, I don't want to get to the end and, and say that. I want to be able to say with confidence, I've done it. I've finished the race. Um, so early in college, I read this book um, called Finishing Strong. It's not a real popular one. It was for some student staff stuff or something. A guy named Steve Farrar. Uh, it's kind of a, a man book in a way. Um, but it was, the whole premise of the book was finishing strong. This this very idea of, um, you know, he, example after example of it's not about how you start the race. It has nothing to do with how you start. It's all about how you finish. Um, he went through all kinds of examples of um, kings in the Old Testament that started off great and everything was wonderful and following God, kingdom's good, people are happy, and then their life just tanked. And they're, they're hated and they're remembered, if they're remembered at all, for really bad and awful things. What was it about um, that those guys, they started great, but they finished terrible? And then you have other guys that start off terrible and weak. Um, but look at Peter, for example. He had a, he had a rough start. And then, and look at how we're, we're still talking about him, you know. Um, other example, guys in the 50s and the 40s, you know, contemporaries of Billy Graham, kind of in their, in their kind of younger days. Um, these guys start out, oh, man, they're going to be so awesome. But Billy Graham who? Like, no, this guy, he's going to be, he's going to be it, you know. And then one or two things later, drug habit, all of a sudden he's in a gutter somewhere. Nobody's ever heard of this guy. But at the time, he was going to be the next greatest thing. But now, here's Billy Graham. Like, why, what, what is it about him? Um, so that was kind of the whole premise of this guy's book. Is, is, is what, what is it about finishing strong? And that has really shaped um, and influenced a lot of, uh, of the stuff. Um, we all have friends, probably. Maybe friends that were in discipleship groups with you, or even students that, that you've been had in discipleship, that start off great, and they blow it. They tank it. And, and it, you're embarrassed to think of where they could be right now in life, right? I mean, have we all been there and know people like that? Um, I, there was guys in my group when I was in high school, the guys that went to camp that, that Rick was talking about. And I remember around this time I was going through this of thinking like, oh my gosh, like, that's really hard to think about where, where what's-his-face is, where what's-his-name is. What it, What is it? What's just to say that I'm not going to be there? You know, we all kind of think we have this idea of like, that's not going to happen to me. Like, oh, that's, well, that's, that's for them, but that, that's not me. I'm like, how naive am I to think that that couldn't be me? You know, maybe I lasted a little bit longer in the race, but I didn't finish. You know what I mean? Um, so 
here's a, here, I'm going to give you guys I'm going to give you guys a couple things, probably five things here um, that that I think uh, it's, it's not an exhaustive list. This is just stuff I've been I've been wrestling with and learning. Um, five things I've picked up on probably in the last year that I think set us up and help us to finish strong. Um, and like I said, a lot of this, from what I've been learning and reading through Jeremiah and that sort of thing. First one, nothing new. I'm sure you've heard this from Rick a million times. But have a vision for your life. Have a vision for your life um, with eternity in mind. Um, beyond marry 2.5 kids, happy home, whatever. Um, but really, what do you want your life to count um, to count for? Um, you guys, uh, if you guys are big leadership gurus, it's Stephen Covey, Franklin Covey, whatever, the, the kind of the catchphrase to begin with the end in mind. You guys have heard that? Anybody? No, you guys with me? Okay, begin with the end in mind. It's kind of this big, kind of this leadership deal that he sells or whatever. Um, kind of cliche, but that has really shaped everything that I do. Um, whether I'm, I'm, I'm meeting with a, with a kid or I'm meeting with, or I'm planning campaigners or I'm planning club talks for the semester. Um, okay, what do I want these? Um, what do I want them to, to get? What do I want them to get in the end? Okay, okay, that's where we're going. Okay, now now I can backpedal and, and figure it out from there. That makes sense. Um, some guys, um, I don't know if you guys met or seen, but but um, Daniel, um, one of my friends, I brought with me. He's a he's a junior at, at Dunbar. Um, so I meet with him and this other guy, Bebo, this um, this past spring, and uh, and so I thought I'm like, okay, I've got about um, two years with these guys. Where do I want them to be when they graduate? Maybe they'll go to UK. Hopefully they go to UK. Maybe. I don't know. But maybe they go to... Northern. Northern. <laughs> or, or UCLA or something. What do I want these guys to get? What do I want them to know? Or where they're going to be two years from now? And that has completely shaped everything of what we're doing now. You know what I'm saying? Um, campaigners. Okay. Uh, we're going to talk about this tonight. Okay. What do I want them to walk home with when, when they leave here tonight. Okay, now this is how we're going to get there. All right, I don't want to belabor the point, but that has really shaped everything um, that I do. It was beginning with the end in mind. Um, there's a C.S. Lewis quote, I, and I looked and I Googled it and Googled it and Googled it. I couldn't find it. If you guys are C anybody at C.S. Lewis buff, you can correct me on this, but um, some quote to the effect of, and you probably shouldn't quote people if you don't know what it is exactly, but um, the that people, people today... Christians say don't accomplish great things for the kingdom because they don't think of eternity um, like they did. The people of old that accomplished great things for the kingdom had their minds focused on eternity way more than on the present. Does that make sense? Something, something to that effect. I wish I, I wish I could nail it, but I, I don't have it. Um, and uh, and I think that is so true that, that we get so focused on the present. Like like Rick said, like man, like, oh, club, gotta have a huge club. Like oh my gosh, like it's gonna be over if I don't have a huge club and. Oh, what's going to happen if they don't? I'm just going to quit, you know. Um, and, and we don't, uh, and we don't think bigger. We don't think with eternity in mind. Um, the illustration from my life has captured me, and this is this is personal. You guys don't have to, to grasp it, but I would say get something. You guys flip to Jeremiah um, 18. I'm sorry, Jeremiah 17. As verse 8. This is really similar to Psalm 1. Um, there's a lot of overlap. Same image. 
It says he will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots into this out send its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. And, and again, that's in Psalm 1. And for whatever reason, for the last six months, that has been the image that has, that has, has, has gripped me. Um, you know, I, I think about, I just have this great visual of um, the, um, the, you guys know the Maury River near Rock Ridge? You guys know what I'm talking about? The river, the, little, the cool little scenic valley there. I have, the, for whatever reason, it's the Maury River. And, uh, and there's this gigantic oak tree or just huge tree that's growing right by the side of the river. And, um, and you guys, uh, I had this thing for like time-lapse photography, you know what I'm talking about, where people like set up a camera and they film for like seven days and they put on like super fast forward and you can see all, all the stuff changing. I just have this image in my mind of, I, I want to be the tree that's, that's, that's planted by the streams of water. And if you, you know, you picture this, this time-lapse photography of, of you know, the, the sun and then the moon and then the clouds and the sun and the moon and the clouds and, and the seasons go by. And, you know, leaves fall off the trees, and other thing dies, and things wilt, and the snow comes, and all this other stuff, things grow up, and animals kind of scamper in and out, or whatever. But the whole time, this tree is just, is just, is just there. You know what I mean? Like, it just, it doesn't move. It's the, like the centerpiece of, um, of, the, of the whole thing. And that, that no matter what's going on around it, people come and go, animals, the seasons, the floods, the droughts, all that stuff, that no matter what's going on around it, the tree is just there. It's solid, and it's, it's, it's tapped into the stream. It's like going anywhere. Um, I don't know if that does anything to you guys, but that is that is what I think of, and that's what I want my life to be like, and that has been my prayer. Um, you got you guys, PW fans, the, the one song he has, I don't know, but uh, he says, um, "Make me old and wise and deep, make my life done deep." I love those lyrics, and I think about that, and I pray that um, that, that for God to make me old and wise and deep, um, and that I would be that tree. Does that make sense? Um, so I don't know what that is for you guys. I don't know what um, will grip you, or an image, uh, an illustration, or something. But but get something like that and let that drive your life. Let that um, be be the focus and, and, a, and a vision for what you want to become. Uh, uh, number two, this is again probably nothing new to you guys, but having a vision for others and the world. A vision for others in the world. Um, when I was still in high school, we, we memorized a lot of scripture, um, and 2 Timothy 2.2 2 is one I'm sure you guys all know, but has stuck with me, um, and in some ways, at times, has been a curse, and has just haunted me, and other times has been um, my life verse, um, in terms of, of terms of making disciples, um, being spiritual grandparents, um, and trusting what you have to reliable men who are capable of teaching others. Um, that if, if you don't think about your life in those terms, you're, you're missing it. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that a lot of you guys in this room are, have been encouraged that way and taught that way to think that way, but, but you're, not, you're not at the schools to be buddies, you're not at the schools to um, uh, whatever, to, to have, a, have a good influence. You know, you get that a lot from, I'm sure, other people. Like, hey, that's really good. That's a, that's a good thing you guys are doing. Community needs stuff like that. And you're there to make disciples, because one day we're going to be dead. And the gospel's gonna gotta go forth, um, and so that 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 verse there has has, has pushed me and has, has become very dear to my life uh, in terms of what I'm here to do, what what my life is all about. Um, I read something recently that um, that, that was it was pretty cool to see, but it said, um, you know, in the midst of, of camp numbers and club numbers and 
uh, we're growing this and opening new schools and blah, 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 and all that kind of stuff. We're always, we're always rustling. Well, how many people were campaigners on Sunday? Well, it was really good. I was clubhouse. I said, well, but, you know, always feeling these numbers. And, uh, and I read something that said the best long-term, uh, not, not short-term necessarily, but long-term measure of your um, success in ministry is to look at your disciples' disciples. Um, I think that is a great measure. Uh, that may be hard to do, you know, if you've been a leader for two years or something like that. Like, don't get um, frustrated by that. But, but 10 years from now, 15, 20, 40 years from now, um, regardless of where you, where you may be um, and what you're doing, the best measure of your life and your ministry is to look at your disciples' disciples. Um, and there's been times, even this semester, I've been down on myself and frustrated and like, oh, socks, like, oh, I wish it would be better by now. I thought we would be doing this better by now. And, um, and, I, and I stop and, and, uh, and I think, and, and, and uh, Brad, uh, my other friend I brought with me, he's a, he's a wildlife leader um, in, uh, in Champaign, Illinois. <clears throat> he goes to the University of Illinois. And, uh, and, and like Rick was saying, my best days are when I get to talk to him and some of these other guys that are, that are now giving their lives away and talking about what's what's going on with ministry, what's going on with kids they knew, and the, the fun things they've been doing, they've been hanging out, and conversations they've had with kids. Like that is the best part of of, of everything I do, um, and uh, and, and to, 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 that is that is the that is the encouragement. On days when oh, club sucked, that was terrible. Yeah, the kid I thought was really getting there, he sucking it up right now. Like whatever. And then I think no, like Brad's got it. Like and he and he's doing it, and that is so encouraging. So keep that in mind. Um, the other thing is a little more practical, but um, get a map of some sort, like something like this, something like this. Um, I just put one up in my uh, in, in my office in my house <clears throat> um, in the last couple months, you know, and, and putting places where um, people are that you've had an influence on. Um, and, and, you know, check your heart that it's not this, you know, put up a trophy and feel good about yourself and make sure everybody walks by it when they come in your house and, you know, that kind of thing. But it has helped me to pray for these people. It has helped me to remember where God has, has used me and has put me for a purpose. Um, and it has given me a vision for the bigger picture. Like, it's, it's a map of the United States. Hopefully it'll be a map of the world one day. But um, seeing dots in Illinois and in South Carolina and in California... And it's totally expanded my vision, not just for Lexington, not just for Dunbar, and not just that one kid on the soccer team that I'm just like, ugh, get it. But it has opened my eyes to, to the country and to the world uh, and so that, that, that you can have an influence with your life bigger. Does that make sense? You guys with me on that? Um, and again, you know, your first year or two of, uh, of leading, um, you probably won't have anything. It may, it's going to take a while to get there. Uh, but when you do... Get something like that, a reminder, um, an encouragement to help you to pray and to think bigger. Think beyond just Simon Kenton or Boone County or Connor or wherever it is um, and, and have eternity in mind that way. Um, and this, the last thing uh, on this point here, having a vision for people's lives, having a, do you believe that God can do in someone else's life um, what he says he will? You know, how many times, and, and, and I'm... I'm right there. We look at a kid and we're like, maybe that'd be really awesome if he could, but gosh, he just, he can't get away from his girlfriend. And man, it, it would just be a cold day if he ever quits hanging out with those guys and smoking and getting high. I'm just like, so much promise, but man, I just don't, I just don't see it, you know? Um, 
we've got to be able to have believe that God can do in kids' lives what He says He will. Um, I did a uh, it was probably the last, first year or two of, of of being on staff. We had to kind of write this little paper about um, who are your influences and stuff in your life. Who were some people that influenced you, and what was it about them that influenced you, and this sort of thing, and whatever. Um, and you know, and of course, Rick was one of the people on my paper. And I was like, you know, well, what what was it about this person that affected you most? Blah blah. blah. And so I thought about it, you know, and I'm like, well, he's he's cool and he's nice and he liked Jesus and he read the Bible and knew a lot of scripture and lived it out, um, you know. And then I looked at it, I'm like, well, I can't probably say that about these other people in here. I'm like, well, what, what was so different? And 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 the key, the the biggest thing, and, and this is something I, I Rick will always be dear to me is is he had a vision for my life and. I believed it because he believed it. You know, like times we'd be at discipleship in, in Micah's basement, and he would say these crazy things about, I want to read a book about your life. I want to, um, you're going to do these things. And we'd always be like, oh, yeah, that'd be awesome. You guys, hey, hey, Ed, guess what? Guess what they write about me? Like, blah, blah, blah. And he would just be dead serious and just staring at us like, don't knock me. <laughs> Whatever. And it was kind of like, oh, my God, like this guy really believes that. Like, wow. You know, and eventually I caught that. And it went beyond just these, you know, kind of encouraging little sayings to like, man, this guy believes it, he believes in me, so maybe maybe I should. And I have no doubt that has shaped me probably more than anything else, is that, that um, I believed it because he believed it and he saw it in me. Um, and I think I'm forever indebted to him because of that. Um, so, three. Um, flip over to, uh, or stay there in Jeremiah uh, 18. Uh, verse 15, and this is uh, this is God um, talking to Jeremiah, talking to the Israelites uh, through Jeremiah. He says, um, Yet my people have forgotten me. They burn incense to worthless idols, which made them stumble in their ways and in the ancient paths. They made them walk in bypass and on roads not built up. Okay, so he's saying that, they, that my people have forgotten me, they stumbled in their ways, and they haven't followed the ancient paths. They've, they've followed in these other paths and roads not built up. I flip back to um, chapter 6, um, verse 16. And, um, you know, the beginning, God's going on and on, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm ticked off, I'm full of wrath. You know, this is, this is what has upset me, this is why I'm mad, um, and this is what's going on, Jeremiah, and this is what you're going to tell the people, and this is how it's going to be. Um, and then it says, um, this is what the Lord says, Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. And, I, and as I read those verses, I think, okay, the ancient paths, like what is that? What, what are the ancient paths? Because apparently it's pretty important. I'm going to find rest for my soul. I won't go astray. I'll follow God. What are these ancient paths? And, and it doesn't really say... Um, and, and I could be wrong here, but I can't help but think that the ancient paths are, are the, the, the disciplines that um, have been around since since the beginning. Uh, studying scripture, memorizing, meditating, um, taking days of solitude. You know what I mean? Those are the things, um, you know, foster celebration of discipline. You know, it's all right there. Um, Willard's great book on discipline. Uh, it's all right. Those, I think, are the ancient paths that God's talking about. Um, 
that throughout the centuries I talked before about the saints and the heroes of old and, and that kind of thing, that's what those guys did. Like, it wasn't, you know, Martin Luther didn't read uh, Wadded Heart and Run Off Into the Woods and Build a Fort and Go Kill Stuff. Like, um, you know, he it was meditation, it was solitude, it was prayer. It was putting himself in a place where God could change him and use him. Um, you know, you know, all that stuff. Like, I think we just, we have to stay focused on the ancient past so we don't go astray, so we can finish strong. Um, I, along with that, I was, you know, avoid trends and, and pop Christianity. Um, not that, that, that it's, it's completely bad. I mean, I poke fun at Water Heart, but that was a, a meaningful book to me and where I was at in life one day. But, um, and there's nothing bad about that stuff, but don't let that be all that you're fed on. You know, you have to keep in mind that all of those authors, all of the stuff that you will find in Lifeway Christian Bookstore, um, are all people that have been shaped by the last 50, 60, 70 years the same way we have. You know what I mean? Uh, nothing happens in a vacuum. The, the same influences of culture in our world have shaped them and their theology and their thinking um, just as much as the next person. Um, Go to, go into, and, 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 and I think people don't see that. Go to any Christian bookstore, and you'll have the window cases of, 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 of Joel Steen and all the other, the, the, the pop stuff. And then in the back corner somewhere, they'll have a classic section with, with Thomas Akempis um, and, 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 and all the other just awesome dudes um, and women from, from the days of old. And no one reads that stuff. No one wants to go back there. Um, and I think it's true for, for, for a lot of things. So, again, I'm not, I'm not bashing that kind of stuff. It's not, it doesn't mean there's anything wrong with all those things. But, but don't let that be all that you chase and chase this pop Christian um, culture. Um, talk about that. Um, and speaking of culture, that's another thing I feel like I've, I've, I've been kind of beating that drum a lot recently and thinking about the influence that culture has on us um, Study culture, know it, and understand its influences on us and our, and our walks with Christ. Um, I've gotten to the point now where I will not do any kind of campaigner lesson, discipleship, leadership, anything, without asking people somewhere in that, either directly or indirectly. Um, okay, here's what we're talking about. Now, what does culture tell us about this? How has culture shaped and influenced influenced us in this way? Um, and why do we think that? Okay, here, let's look at the Bible. Here's what the Bible says. Here's what God t- says. Here's what, here's what we should. Well, let's look at culture now. Let's see how the, and, and get them thinking. I, I did, had a campaigner's lesson back before Christmas with a bunch of eighth grade boys talking about sex, right? You can imagine, okay, um, how entertaining that was. And the first thing we talked about was, okay, we're talking about sex. What does our culture, what do we know about sex? Like, our thoughts about it, um, whatever, what, what the world t- tells us about it. And at first it was just giggles and whatever. Um, and as they started to like articulate, you know, like it, it, it's cool to, to hook up with, with girls and whatever, and, and you know, and, and they started like talking about it, and you could see the look on their face of like, man, yeah, that and that that one movie, like, huh, yeah, and it was in that, that and that other one too. Oh man, it was an awesome movie. You know, well, what, what was the message of that movie? Um, I don't know, I guess. You know, girls having, getting girls pregnant and stuff, it's like funny. And like, being mean to them, it's pretty funny. Like, huh. You know, and, and, and for the first time, I think, ever, 
they've really processed, hey, this is kind of the, the message that the world's feeding me. You know what I mean? And, and, um, and, and so in everything I do now, I, I wrestle with everything I read, everything I study, like, oh, okay, Jeremiah, chapter, okay, the, the ancient way, the ancient path, blah, blah, blah. Okay, what, what is 21st century America telling me? What is pop culture Christianity telling me about the ancient, you know what I'm saying? Um, and being aware of that, because it influences us every day, whether you like it or not. Um, and I'll give you four words here to familiarize yourself with. Um, I'm not going to go into them now, but write them down, check them out, study them, look at them. First one, consumerism. Second one, pluralism, particularly as that, as that relates to, to truth and ethics. Third is secularism. And finally, atheism. <clears throat> um, I won't go into that, but read up on them. Uh, I, I mean, you can Wikipedia if you want it, but, but look into it and see what see what it is and what it's about. Because I really think, you know, 2 Timothy uh, 3 and 4, the verses you guys are memorizing, I think that these are where the battle is going to be, I think, in, in, the, in the years to come um, for us. Um, so, uh, okay, fourth, how am I doing on time? Great. Okay. All right, fourth, <clears throat> discipline. Okay, Titus 1.8, uh, that's one of the big things about being a minister of the gospel, is self-discipline. Um, and I can't tell you, I, have, I, I could get on a soapbox really quick about this, um, that I feel like self-discipline and discipline in general, I think is the great battle of the college student. Um, some of you guys are in college, some of you guys are just out of college, or doing both, whatever, but I really believe that discipline is the great battle of the college student. Um, the amount of time you have, the amount of freedom you have, um, that I've seen so many people um, tank in their faith um, or squander their time and their opportunity for ministry more of, because of a lack of, of, of self-discipline than anything else. I really believe that the, the, the thief that lies, kills, and destroys, I think, gets at college-age people more in this area than anything else. Um, you, the world knows it. I mean, look at, at any marketing majors, you know, the 18 to 25 demographic. Like, that's what people are after. Why? Because you have freedom, you got you got money now. You can make decisions. Like the world is about you. It's all about what you want, when you want it, how you want it. And they know if they can hook you, then they got you hooked long term, right? And so again, culture. You walk into any college campus, it's gonna ask what's best for you, what you want, man. Anytime, whatever. Um, and and you have so much time to do it. You know it, it, that there's just discipline. Like, gosh. Um, we, it's it's a it's a fruit of the spirit. Second Timothy one seven, God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, love, and self discipline. Like it's not a matter of, well, I don't know. Like his dad was in the army, and so he grew up, and that's easier for him. And I don't know. I've just always had a hard time. Bullcrap. Like it may look different for you. Um, uh, you know, I, I I'm, I'm hesitant to say that because my dad was was hard on me and things like that. But there there's still a decision point, a breaking point for all of us of. Hey, am I going to be disciplined about this, or am I going to be lazy and weak? Um, it's a fruit of the Spirit. It is not uh, a condition of, um, well, not me. I'm excluded from that. 
um, I, I mean, time and time again, um, I just see people struggle with this. And, and college students, um, think, of the, think of the many things we're disciplined about in our life. Um, sports teams, if you're not on now, you know, you were in high school or, or in clubs or the band or whatever, the, the amount of dedication and discipline for that, unbelievable, especially nowadays. I mean, sports are way different than they were 10 years ago when I was in high school. Um, uh, diets, you know, I know some people, maybe that's where they, they struggle, but I know a, I know a girl that, um, man, she is so committed to this diet, and she's done phenomenal at it. I, I'll be honest with you. She, it's incredible, and it's encouraging to me how committed and how consistent, how disciplined she's been with her diet. She can't have a quiet time to save her, save her life. And I'm like, what, what, what's the, what's the disconnect? You know what I mean? Um, another girl, um, great leader, you know, she's there and, and she gets it and stuff. Um, and she wasn't going to be in a Bible study because she couldn't miss Grey's Anatomy on Thursday nights. And I'm like, man, you're really good at keeping up with Grey's Anatomy. Like you'll, you'll move your life around. You won't sleep in for that. You, you know, you're, you're committed to Grey's Anatomy, but you get a Bible study? Like, you can't, you can't go to the school, you know, several times a week? Like, what, what's the deal? You know what I mean? Um, and again, college students, like, there's just this war for discipline. Um, I don't have time to, to go into fixing that. I mean, that's a whole other lesson in itself, but um, have discipline in your life. Um, it, it affects everything you do. Um, and I really believe to be in a guard against that um, with your time as, as a college student, and not just with with, you know, with quiet times and Bible studies, but, but getting up, getting exercise, like eating well, um, it, it all it all overlaps. You know what I mean? You're, you're, all of your life overlaps that way. Rest, um, studying, doing homework, going to class, um, you name it. Um, again, going back to, to heroes of the faith. If you guys have read books about about Hudson Taylor and um, and Brother Andrew. Um, and those types of things. Were those guys disciplined? I read uh, The Hiding Place uh, recently, Corey Ten Boom. Um, you, got, you guys have read those books? Like, were those people disciplined? Or were they, I don't know, I don't feel like it. Like, I don't want to. Did you, got, did you guys ever get that vibe from them? No. Like, when I look at um, at, at, at heroes of the faith, I see, I see discipline. Um, and it makes me want to have it. You know, you read stories in, in, in Hudson Taylor about you know, he was up till 1 o'clock, but yet he was up at 4 a.m. with a candle and spending time with God and all those other things. I'm like, yeah, like that, that's what I want. You know what I mean? Um, uh, and the last thing I'll say about that is uh, your feelings will betray you. Um, I, sometimes I get so mad I want to punch people sometimes. I'm just like, oh, I just don't feel like it. I don't feel like it. Um... You know, think of what a sad world we'd live in if everybody just did what they felt like all the time, you know? I went to McDonald's. Well, we didn't have any food. The delivery guy didn't come today. He didn't feel like driving. Oh, okay. Well, just go in the bathroom. Sorry, the lights don't work. Electric company didn't feel like coming to work today. Okay, I'll just run across to get some gas and get a donut. Well, sorry, we didn't feel like pumping any gas today. So, you're stuck. You know what I mean? Like, think of the snowball effect. People just did what they felt like all the time. Um... Your feelings will betray you, um, and that, 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 that there isn't a lot of stock in feelings. Uh, I read something, um, Eugene Peterson, um, one of his books recently, and he's talking about um, he's talking about this. Have you guys ever been, um, how many times have you had a quiet time or something, and you've just been like, 
I just don't feel like God loves me today. I feel so far from God. I feel like God doesn't like me. I feel like I don't want to pray. Is that true? Does, does God not like you? Does God hate you? Does God not forgive you? Um, all these Is that true? You know, my point is, do our feelings represent reality? No. There's a lot of days when, when, I'm, when I'm praying with God, I feel like He doesn't love me, or I don't feel like He... Is that, is that true, though? No. That's not true. Like, feelings aren't a good representation of reality. They're good for a lot of things, but they're not a good representation of reality a lot of times. So don't go with your feelings. I don't feel like going to class today. I don't feel like having a quiet time. You know what I mean? Fight that. Fight that hard. Um, okay, finally, um, don't forget, I would say, for number five. Don't forget. Um, go to Jeremiah 2. Two thirty-two. This is Jeremiah talking to two thirty-two. Says, "Does a maiden forget her jewelry, a bride her wedding ornaments? Yet my people have forgotten me, days without number." God, he's he's upset. My people have forgotten me. You flip ahead to the right, three twenty-one. A cry is heard on the barren heights, the weeping and pleading of the people of Israel, because they have perverted their ways and have forgotten the Lord their God. You know, it's not—it's it's all over the Old Testament, especially. Like, what, what is the Israelites' biggest problem? They keep forgetting, right? Um, you know, so so many times, if you read through the Old Testament, and anytime something cool happens, God shows up. They build altars, they build monuments, they they do all these things, right? Um, well, they didn't have books, they didn't have uh, DVDs and tape recorders, they didn't have cell phones, so. Somehow they had to communicate what happened and remember what happened here. You know, for us, we can look up a history book and say, "Oh man, in, in the year 1050, this and this happened," because I can read it. Well, they didn't have that back then, so they would set up reminders so that they wouldn't forget what God what God did or what happened. Um, how many times do you hear and you read about God um, is referred to as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who brought the Israelites up out of Egypt, you know, and, and it's just over and over and over, and you're like, okay, can, can we abbreviate that somehow? Like, why do we keep referring to God as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the one who brought the Israelites out of Egypt? Well, because in their day, there's so many gods, um, for one, that they had to identify which one they're talking about, and two, because they didn't want to forget what happened. You know, it wasn't long after they left Egypt when suddenly the bottom fell out again, and they went back to their old ways. Why? Because they forgot. And so by calling on God as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the one who brought the Israelites out of Egypt, just saying the name, they're reminded of what God did. Um, and uh, I, there's a tradition, you know, a camp kind of tradition, I guess, I, I stole from someone else, but um, getting a rock or something from a camp property um, and letting kids sign it who have committed their lives to Christ um, is awesome. Um, one for them, it's, it's, it's something tangible for them, but, but selfishly for me, so when I'm having those days where I don't feel like God's faithful, I don't feel like God loves me, I can look at my bookcase and I can say, no, like there is proof that, uh, that God loves me, that God is using me, that God is moving in the lives of kids, even if I don't feel it or I don't see it. Does that make sense? Um, and, and so, and so don't forget, don't forget, um, don't forget God, um, don't forget God's faithfulness, his love, his grace. Do things like that um, that will help you remember.
Um, second there, I would say don't forget your sin. Um, I think that was probably another nugget I got from Rick that has really shaped me. Is don't forget your sin. Because um, it, it produces a heart of gratefulness and, and humility, unlike anything else. Um, there was a... Um, I would say, probably in the last couple months, two months ago, you know, the fall with the banquet and weekend camps and stuff, just crazy and it's busy and it's, it's stressful, right? Um, and I remember driving uh, one day and it was in the morning. I was, I was frustrated with, with the leaders, with all kinds of stuff, and you know, and I'm, and I'm in this mindset of like, gosh, why can't they just be like me? Why can't they just do things my way? Because I'm always right. Why can't it be like this? Like, oh man, this is going good. I'm so awesome. Like, man. They're so they're so lucky to have me, cause man, whatever, you know what I mean. And, I, and I'm in this I'm in this mindset while I'm driving, and and it, it had to be God, cause I don't know what what made what made me think of it. And I was reminded of where my life could be right now, you know, had had God not changed my heart. Um, and thinking of where I was, um, having having awesome friends and doing ministry, and having a wonderful wife um, that loves the Lord and is doing ministry with me. And I think about where I could be, you know. Um, I thought about the fact that I should have a kid who's eight or nine years old right now. Because of decisions I made in high school, I should have a kid. And I would probably be married to some girl that I hated, would have never gone to college, um, you know, and, and on and on and on it goes. And, and as I'm reminded of this, I'm like, I, I, I almost started crying. And I'm like, I am so thankful for what I've been saved from um, and what God has done in my heart. Um, how can I begin to think of, that it's me, that, um, that that has anything to do with me? You know what I mean? And I think there's there's a heart of gratitude and humility. So don't forget your sin. Um, and lastly, um, eternity. Uh, it's kind of what where all this is going. Is um, I, I've learned even even as much as two weeks ago that the more I see the present in light of eternity, the different it looks. Um, I signed a big oil leak in my truck the other day, and like ruined my morning. Like, oh crap! Who knows how much that's going to be? Bad timing. I'm going to be out of town a lot in the next month or so. Great, you know, and just just pissed off to no end. You have no idea. And then I think, uh, is this going to matter? Does does a Ford Ranger matter in the end? No. And it was funny after that. You know what I mean? It's funny. And so the more we see the present in light of eternity, the different it looks. Um, so look at the uh, the sheet that I gave you guys. Um, 156 buck naked miles to Bighorn. Uh, <laughs> there isn't a lot of spiritual depth in this, but uh, it's, it's a great story. This this is from that that Finishing Strong book I, I told you guys about. Um, it, I think the guy's a good storyteller, and, and I think you can drive a pretty good point home with it. Um, and I wanted you guys to have something to take home, so uh, I like using it. But um, it's, it's pretty short. Let, let's just read that. Is anybody, loud readers, good readers, just a couple paragraphs at a time. Anybody want to read it? Rick, Rick will do it. <laughs> Go for it. Only two men failed to return from the storied Lewis and Clark expedition of the early 1800s. One man failed to return because he got sick and died. The other man failed to return because he was smitten. He had just seen the length and breadth of what would one day become the United States of America, from the Great Plains to the Rockies, the Columbia Basin of Oregon to the Pacific Ocean. His young eyes drank in what no white man had ever seen, the vast wonders of an unexplored continent 
had a grip on his soul. So when Lewis and Clark set out for home, John Coulter waved to them goodbye. He stayed on to explore the wide lands that were outside the scope of the expedition. He wanted to follow some of the, those trails and paddle some of those rivers he'd passed by on the way to the Pacific. He was haunted by their wild beasts. Coulter trapped beaver in the virgin streams of the high country. He was the first white man to witness the geysers of Yellowstone. The young man's love affair with uncharted lands kept him in constant danger. Close encounters with monster grizzlies, churning white water rapids, and always dangerous Indians tested his courage, pluck, and reflexes. As years went by, he gained a legendary status among his fellow trappers and mountain men, men not easily impressed. But the accomplishment that sealed Coulter's reputation as a living legend wasn't a battle with a grizzly, shooting rapids in a fragile canoe, or scaling an unknown mountain range. John Coulter was best known for a single foot race. It was a race that would be told and retold around campfires from Columbia to Missouri. John Coulter had run like no man in history had ever run before. It may have been because he was running for his life. Coulter had been trapping a particular stream with John Potts, an old friend from the Lewis and Clark expedition, as they were canoeing down a stretch of river not far from what is today Bozeman, Montana. They heard some rustling in the brush on both sides of the river bank. In the next instant, they were surrounded by black <coughs> Indians with drawn bows. There was no time to escape for escape downstream. Coulter did the only thing he could have done. He headed for the bank. As they were getting out of the canoe, a huge Indian ran forward and snatched Potts' rifle out of his hands. Coulter, a man of great physical strength and courage, knew that any sign of fear would only ensure their torturous death at the hands of these black feet. The desperate trapper grabbed, grabbed the rifle and wrestled it away from the Indian, throwing him to the ground in the process. He tossed the weapon back to Potts and turned to confront the startled warriors. Potts had seen enough and jumped into the canoe to make a getaway. No, shouted Coulter, knowing there was no escape in that direction. Arrows rained into the canoe, killing Potts. The current swept the canoe and body of Coulter's friend downstream. Coulter himself stood on the bank, unarmed and alone. The Blackfeet swarmed around him, stripped him naked, and then tied him down as they held a powwow, trying to determine what they should do with him. Skin him alive. No, let's whip him to death. Let's burn him alive. Then one of the Blackfeet came up with a creative idea. The chief approached Coulter and asked him if he would, if he could run like a deer. Coulter indicated that he was not as fast as the deer, but slow as the turtle. Now, this was a lie, for Coulter was a remarkably fast runner. The chief, however, took the bait with a grin and quickly led everyone into a nearby sandy plain. He made a mark, and his warriors towed the line. He then took Coulter and gave him a 300-yard head start. The buck-naked Coulter took off like a shot. Except for moccasins and loincloths, the pursuing Blackfeet were as naked as Coulter, but each warrior carried his favorite weapon and yearned for the honor of finishing off the white trapper. The plane stretched ahead of Coulter for six miles, dotted only by sagebrush and prickly pear, but shimmering on the horizon, Coulter could see a line of trees that must have been a bend in the, of the river. He focused on those trees and began to run for his life. Coulter's bare feet were soon cut into bloody ribbons by the sharp stones and prickly pear, but in this race there was no stopping. One mile sped by, two miles. At approximately three miles, Coulter looked back over his shoulder, for he could no longer hear the yelling of his pursuers or slap of their moccasins in the dust. Only a handful were still in the hunt, and they were a good distance away. One solitary brave, however, had closed within 200 yards. Coulter's body was so stressed from the exertion of the chase that blood trickled from his mouth and nose. At four, mile, four miles, Coulter looked back again. The Indian, with protective moccasins on his feet, had gained a lot of ground and was less than 
fifty yards away. Coulter knew his broad, naked back was, a ra was in range of the Indian's sharp lance. Without warning, the hunted man suddenly whirled and stopped, facing the onrushing Indian and throwing his hand straight up in the air as if to surrender. The shocked Indian immediately threw his lance, and as it left his hand, he stumbled and fell head over heels. The lance fell short. Coulter grabbed it and plunged it into his pursuer before the exhausted Indian could regain his footing. Coulter drove the lance into the Indian with such force that the brave was pinned to the ground to die by his own weapon. Summoning every ounce of strength he had left, Coulter ran the remaining mile or so to the river and, stand, and the stand of timber. Out in the middle of the stream there was a sandbar, and at the head of this little island was a large raft of driftwood which had come down from the spring floods. Coulter swam out to the raft, dove beneath it, and came up where several of the entangled logs formed a roof above his head. Here he waited for the pursuing Blackfeet, up to his neck in the icy waters under a makeshift shelter. He soon heard the approaching Blackfeet, who swarmed around the river onto the sandbar, and even stood upon the logs that covered Coulter's head, but they couldn't find him. That terrible day, however, was still young, and the Blackfeet were wild to avenge the death of their comrade. They kept on the hunt until late afternoon before finally withdrawing. Under the cover of darkness, John Coulter swam downstream until he found a tiny stretch of bank concealed by trees and brush. Naked, half-frozen, and nearly delirious from exposure and loss of blood, Coulter pulled himself out of the stream and lay gasping on the bank. He had no rifle, no food, no fire, no horse, no shoes, and no clothing. He had been stripped of everything, everything but his will to live. John Coulter was half dead and 150 miles away from the trading post at Bighorn. Yet seven days later, he walked naked, bleeding, and hungry into the Bighorn compound. In that moment, he became a living legend. Stripped of everything and against the worst odds imaginable, John Coulter outran and outsmarted the pursuing Blackfeet for 156 miles. In spite of everything, he managed to finish the So I think there's tons of parallels there. They were, they were running a race, and it's going to be hard, and it's going to demand a lot. Um, but what, how encouraging to think of finishing strong, and that, that is another image of what I want my life to be like at the end. Um, um, so I'll leave you guys with that. Um, let me pray and, and raise